0: Please turn to uh, Luke chapter 2 with me here today as we look at this very important Christmas text. And you know, Christmas is such a wonderful time of the year. And we trust that each of you had a special day yesterday with your family, your friends, your loved ones. Uh, we were truly br- blessed in the Nelson household to have all three of our four children home and their spouses, plus all seven grandchildren and our one grandchild, of course, that's in utero because we're giving gifts to that child too. And it was really a glorious, special day to yesterday. It, it's one of those days you just don't want to end. And uh, Cindy and I have been kind of on cloud nine uh, having had that experience yesterday. And Christmas is truly one of the significant holidays of the year, often associated with family gatherings and feasting and expressions of love and celebrating the many good things that there are in life. But at the same time, for some, Christmas is often depressing and painful. We can so easily remember painful Christmases in the past or lonely Christmases in recent years. I know in three and a half decades of pastoring that I have officiated at a lot of funerals right around the Christmas holiday. And this is a reminder uh, every single year in these families uh, for years to come of their significant losses. Last Wednesday evening when our young adult worship team was presenting the Christmas concert that they did, they sang one secular song amidst all the other songs that were Christmas uh, carols and and many of our Christmas favorites, but it was a song there about Christmas memories that the songwriter had from their childhood. Christmas trees and gifts and mom and dad kissing under the, the mistletoe. And as they sang, memories were just flooding through my mind of my deceased father and mother in law, Stan and Donna Hayes, and Christmas was so special to them. A devout Missouri Synod Lutheran family, and uh, they just loved Christmas. Going to church every Christmas Eve with your family was so special to them. Being together just as a family, expressing your love to one another, giving thoughtful gifts and eating wonderful meals together, and just having fun. Together was so special to them. Well, part of what overwhelmed me when this song was sung was that I do not have a lot of good childhood memories of Christmas. Being that I was fatherless for most of my childhood, because my father passed away when I was five years old. Being that we lived in poverty, that I was poor in a in a dysfunctional, alcohol-smitten family. In fact, many of my painful childhood memories actually come from the holiday season. One of them was waking up one morning to see your mom's face, all black and blue and swollen from domestic abuse by a jealous live-in boyfriend who didn't like the fact that she came home later than he thought she should have come home from her work Christmas party. So all of my good memories of Christmas are post-childhood, from being with Cindy's family and our own children during the past 40 years. Well, okay, Pastor Darrell, Christmas is gone. And now we're looking forward to the new year. We're looking forward to 2022. So why are we spending another Sunday talking about Christmas? Well, please know worldwide, it's still considered the Advent season. Because there are two more Christmas stories that occur in the Bible after the birth of Christ. One has to do with when the Magi visited, which actually was the last of all the Christmas stories. This happened many months later, but, but it historically has been called Epiphany. And it's celebrated on January 6th in many church calendars throughout the world. And the other in, is in February, which is 40 days from Jesus' birth. And in some traditions, it's called Candlemas. It's on the feast of presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ at the temple in Jerusalem. And a portion of this festival involves lighting candles and celebrating Christ as the light of the world. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of his people, Israel. Now, songs are often sung there at Jesus' presentation, that celebration and festival at the temple, as well as scripture passages that are read from the prophets and from the Gospel of Luke about Simeon and Anna, Anna, excuse me, and they're read. Now, our section for today is the portion regarding Simeon here from verse 22 to verse 35 that Pastor Nathan just read for us a couple moments ago. And we know this took place at the time of purification, which, of course, was 32 days post Jesus' circumcision. Verse 21 says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So the circumcision took place, and the naming of Jesus, as the angel had instructed Joseph to, Mary, to to name his son exactly that. Now, Joseph and Mary are law-abiding folks. They have made this journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, six miles each way, on two separate occasions uh, in a 40-day stretch after Jesus' birth. And if they did that, each of these trips on one particular day, that you know, plus went to the temple for all the required worship rituals, we're talking about close to a three-hour journey on foot, Each way, plus the worship time that they would have spent, those would have been some pretty long and tiring days. But they did this to fulfill what the law had said. Let me read for you from Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during during a monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of purification are over. So if she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period then she must wait 60 days to be purified from her bleeding when the days of her purification of her uh, for a son or a daughter are over she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering he shall offer them before the lord to make atonement for her and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now, the text in Luke doesn't say here if only Mary needed to appear before the purification rite. That's the way the the scriptures read here for us. But look at verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is possible that Joseph may have participated in the birth and would have needed to go through the purification ritual as well. See, in the original language of this verse, in the Greek language, it does use a plural pronoun, they. So it would seem at face value that Joseph may have had to participate in the purification ritual as well. Well, we pick it up in verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves for or two young pigeons now this passage teaches us that joseph and mary were following the old testament to a t they did the circumcision and the naming of jesus on the eighth day 33 days later they did the purification uh rite of purification ritual and then they did the presentation of their firstborn it's all written here for us to know in fact Exodus chapter 13 verse 2 says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And 10 verses later, chapter 13, verse 12 says, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Now, part of their worship ritual in keeping with the law was to present a pair of turtle doves and pigeons uh, to the Lord. Now, this means that they were also poor because the law required, as we just read there a few moments ago, uh, people with means had to offer a lamb. And they didn't have those means. So they offered these two pigeons, these two turtle doves and these two pigeons. And this also tells us something very significant. Uh, Not what it explicitly states, but what it implicitly states. It tells us that the visit from the Magi had not yet occurred. Because had they had that gold and that frankincense and that myrrh, they would have had plenty of means in order to purchase a lamb. So we know that that happened after the 41st day. Many believe it was more like the 60th day or so later. But it was believed that those gifts, those resources that Joseph and Mary needed to hastily retreat to Egypt uh, and lived there for a while while Herod was trying to kill the infant child Jesus. And until Herod passed away, those gifts were provided to them at the right time so that they could flee at that right moment. And truly, God does provide, doesn't he? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen to that. Now, Joseph and Mary offered the required sacrifice as a reminder of God's deliverance of Israel's firstborn during the Exodus experience from Egypt. And Joseph and Mary, in their deep piety, they show the godly parents that they were back then and their desire to honor the Lord. And thus, this dedication of Jesus here also echoes the dedication of Samuel by his mother, Hannah, as well, in the Old Testament. Well, let me read verse 25 for you. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. By the way, this event must have tremendously been significant to Joseph and Mary because after Jesus, when they started having their own children between Joseph and Mary, you know, Christ was their firstborn, but but when they had their their firstborn son, they named him Simeon. And Simeon here in this text has no title other than being a godly man who longed to see the Messiah. And he could have been a priest or he could have been a prophet or he could have just simply been a godly, faithful layman. But it's believed that he was old and he was nearing the end of his life. And verse 26 and 27 goes on. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. This is a spirit-filled individual. And by the way, Simeon is not the highlight of the text here in these verses, is he? Who's the highlight? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that is bringing this all about and bringing them to to meet one another at this proper time. Now, Simeon here was a a devout student of the Word of God. He knew the Old Testament, particularly the prophets Isaiah and Haggai and Malachi, where God had promised to send his Messiah to bring comfort to his people and to one day even visit the temple. So here's the picture. Joseph and Mary arrive at the temple in the outer precincts in the last and most important of these Christmas accounts. And the temple is crowded as usual. In all likelihood, There were other devout parents who were bringing their sons for dedication as well, since the firstborn sons born all over Israel were to be dedicated like that. And they were born all over Israel regularly. So they're one of many, a baby among other babies, all there for the same reason. Nothing particularly unique about this. Nothing special here. Nothing appearing on the surface to even be miraculous. Another worship day at the temple. People bringing their babies. It's almost an underwhelming situation. And here they are bringing their baby. They're so proud. And so are so many other people. They're all very proud of their children. And they're doing the same thing out of devotion to the Lord. But is it the same thing? Look at verse 26 again. It had been revealed to him, that Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. God is going to keep his word to Simeon. And please remember when it says here the Lord's Messiah, Messiah in the Greek language here, in the original language of the New Testament, is the word Christos. God's anointed one, the Christ. And Christ was not Jesus' second name. And as a name, Jesus was a little common. In the Old Testament times, Yeshua, Joshua. In the New Testament, it was Iesus in the Greek language. He would be referred to as Jesus, the son of Joseph. Well, Christ is Jesus' title, The anointed one, the promised redeemer, the one who had been promised way back in Genesis 3 verse 15 who would crush Satan's head, the evil one's head, all the way through to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the way up to David and then through the family lineage of David to Mary till Christ was born. And for Simeon to see the Lord's Christ was to see before his own eyes the entire fulfillment of of the Old Testament. To look upon the Christ was to look upon God in the flesh and God visiting his temple. And in the midst of the crowd with all the babies, the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon, this is the one. This is the long-awaited consolation of Israel. This is God's salvation prepared in the presence of all people. See, God did not provide his salvation in some secret place, but right out in the open, right out in broad daylight, before all peoples. In fact, Luke points out the very time in Roman history when this occurred. Looking back to chapter 2 in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census would be taken of the entire Roman Empire. We know historically when Caesar Augustus reigned and when he ruled. Verse chapter 3 verse 1 in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip of Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias and Tetrarch of Abilene and it goes on and on. We know historically when these events in these times happened. And here Simeon tells us in verse 28 to verse 32, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon says Jesus doesn't represent God's salvation. He is God's salvation. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, which, by the way, was a quote directly from the Old Testament where it's taught that the Gentile nations were supposed to be able to look to Israel and to be drawn to the God that they worshipped. It goes on here in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now we know from chapter 2 and verse 19 that Mary was was taking all of this stuff in. It said but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She observed all of it. She witnessed all of it. She was Pouring over it and just holding it near and dear to herself and treasuring things, meditating on, thinking about what all of these things meant and represented in the history of the nation, as well as in the very time frame and the and the cultural context that she was living in. But now here it says the child's father and mother, both Joseph and Mary, marveled. They thamazod. they marveled. In other words, they were amazed. They were astonished. They were, you know, in just this awe and wonderment of everything that was being said about Jesus. Then we come to verse 34 and verse 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. He looks right directly at Mary. He says to her, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that this child Jesus was not only the Savior of all the peoples of the earth who placed their faith in him, but he would also be a wedge of division. And here's where the present-day church's offering of the cute little baby in the manger at Christmas time falls so short. Yes, Jesus is the promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, but he's also the one who will cause the rising and the falling of many. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, uh, Jesus said these words, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I I, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And Simeon was saying here, everyone that would claim physical lineage to Abraham will have to come to terms with who Jesus is. Who is this child? Or as our famous Christmas carol says, what child is this? What child? is this. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's either accepted on those terms, which leads to blessing, which leads to the rising of many, or he is rejected, which leads to judgment and the falling of many. There are no other options when it comes to Jesus, and Jesus is the one whose very existence reveals the thoughts and the intentions of people's hearts. He's accepted by some, but rejected by many, And John, the apostle, the writer of the gospel of John, said as much in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It says that he came to that which was his own, meaning his own people. Jesus came and appeared as the Messiah to his own people. But his own received him not. They didn't accept him. But the next verse goes on to say, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Whoever receives Jesus, the Messiah, who believes in Him, becomes a child of God. In reality, whatever a person thinks of this Christ child means everything, because He's the Son of God. He was born in the flesh. He was born to die for the sins of all people. And think for a moment of Mary here, being told all of these incredible things about her Son from the very beginning of all these christmas accounts the angelic communications the angelic visits the being told of the amazing things your son is and your amazing things your son will accomplish and then to be left with the final message that a sword is going to pierce your soul and as a mother of messiah you too will suffer you know when our children were born we we're so proud and our oldest daughter was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And after a long 19-hour labor, and then of course, the delivery and all the post-delivery type things that were going on and the scurrying after that, after that, I finally got a break. Okay? You, you with me? You know, it's like the one guy said, you know, it's so painful to go through a long delivery like that because all that yelling and screaming hurts my ears no, no, we all got a break. Cindy got a break, I got a break, but I hadn't eaten for a while, so you know, after everything settled down, and Cindy was resting, and, and our daughter Rachel was resting, all that stuff happening, I slipped down to the cafeteria to get a little bit of a bite to eat. And of course, what do you think's happening when I go out to the cafeteria? I see the kitchen staff that's right there, and I'm telling them, we just had a little baby girl. We just had a little baby girl. When I come to the pay for my meal, I tell the lady that's waiting on me there, we, we just had a little baby girl. We named her Rachel. You know, when the busboys are coming by cleaning tables, I'm like, we just, we just had a little girl. We just had a little baby girl. The guy that's cleaning the floors and mopping up and sweeping up in there, the janitor, I'm telling him, we just had a little baby girl. I don't know how many times they hear that every day. You know, I didn't even think about that. You know, they're hearing that message over and over. But I just cannot imagine knowing each of our children's futures within a handful of, uh, of weeks post-birth. Shortly after leaving the hospital then going to church and then having some old guy at church grab our arms and tell us wonderful things about this child or our children, the things that they would do in life. You know, we're already proud as peacocks, you know, bringing that little bundle of joy to church and and everybody gets to see our cute little baby and we're so excited. And and then have this old person tell us that these children of yours, Daryl and Cindy, they would be in keeping with the word of God. Malachi chapter 4 verse 15. They will be exactly what the one God seeks. They will be godly offspring. And they will love the Lord. And they will love the Lord's church. No matter where they go in life or where they move, they will love the Lord. And they will love the Lord's church. And your, you, Daryl, from a life of poverty and a life of dysfunction, will have a child who will be a second-generation covenant pastor. And you will have another child who will be offered a pastoral position at a large covenant church. And all your children will become college graduates. And one will even go on to do graduate work. And then this aged man would talk about all the other things that they would accomplish in their lives academically and athletically and, and in their professional lives. And man, we'd be bursting at the seams. Then he would go on to say, this child or these children of yours are going to go on and cause all kinds of division in the world, in their adult lives. And you as parents will suffer tremendously as a result. I would be thinking, dude, you just said all these amazing things about my children and now you're saying this? Who do you think you are? And if I heard this message from my dysfunctional background, I would immediately think, that my child or my children had returned to the generational sins of my family of origin. The alcoholism, the fornication, the adultery, the domestic abuse, the mismanagement of money, the poverty. To frankly, my childhood memories of Christmas's past. And I can tell you, though, related to what Mary experienced, from my own first-hand experience of the trauma of discovering one of our daughter's lifelong challenges medically. When she was nine years old, we discovered that after she was hospitalized at Gillette's Children's Hospital for one month down in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was absolutely overwhelming to be told all of these things about your child when they're only nine years old and be told all of these things about their future when they're only nine years old and it put me into a funk for two years knowing her limitations knowing the heartaches that she would face in life the disappointments that she would have to overcome the challenging medical procedures that she would have to go through and the cost financially Of all of that. And even though we knew those things, Cindy and I did not know that we would actually need monthly respite to get a break from caring for her. Through government programs, we got paid uh, for a supervisor to uh, take care of our daughter for 17 hours a month. And I'm telling you what, we took every single one of those minutes. And when we got further along in our our, uh, uh, professional lives and financially, we added some hours of that and just paid it out of our own pocket so we could just get a break from caring for our daughter. We also didn't know at that time that we would need to go see a counselor and to get therapy on many, many, many occasions to learn how to deal with our daughter and her disability issues and that our entire family would even have to go to learn how to deal with her and her disability issues. And our last therapy appointment was actually 20 months ago when she was homeless and staying in a homeless shelter in North Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we were crushed with how to learn how to deal with just that alone. Now, with our background, we get a glimpse of what Mary experienced. But I still cannot imagine all that she had gone through having all of these amazing experiences related to the birth of Jesus these angelic visits and angelic communications and being told the great things about who Jesus is and the great things that he was going to do and oh by the way he's going to cause all kinds of division in this world and because you are the mother of Jesus you are going to suffer tremendously you will have a front row seat For the final three years of your son's adult life, you will watch him be rejected and maligned over and over again by the very religious leaders who you have looked up to, the very religious leaders who you've studied under and learned from, the very religious leaders that you even followed. And all of this is going to culminate in false accusations against Jesus, your son. Numerous illegal trials, and then being sentenced to capital punishment, death by crucifixion. And Mary, this is going to all be done to your precious son right before your eyes. Clearly, this is a sobering conclusion to the Christmas account in the Bible. Because to align oneself with the one who divides is to participate in what the book of Philippians calls the fellowship of Christ's suffering. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be surprised, even during this festive holiday season, if you find yourself in the numerical minority in this world, experiencing the blessings daily of walking with Jesus, of rising with Him, only to find yourself at odds with those who refuse to accept Christ for who he truly is. Those who are falling, who are facing judgment. And as you walk daily with Christ and you're rising with him and find yourself at odds with those who refuse to accept him, as you do, just keep in mind that with God, all things are possible. Thus, with God, even though numerically we might be in a minority, with God, we're actually in the majority, because with God, all things are possible. And secondly, remember that Jesus promised to return uh, for his people. He promised he would come again. As he came the first time, he's going to come again. So, as Simeon of old was found waiting for the Lord's Messiah, let us in the church age, in the age of the Holy Spirit, be found waiting for the return. Of Christ standing faithfully and firmly upon the truth of who he is in the book of Revelation they have a word for that where people are longing and lovingly waiting for the return of Christ it's the word Maranatha come quickly Lord Jesus or as the Christmas Carol writer said O come O come Emmanuel let's pray God, our Father, we thank you uh, again for the blessing of this sermon series that we've been able to have during this Advent season. To look directly at the life of Mary and asking that question, Mary, did you know? Uh, Each step of the way. And Lord, to be uh, learning all about what she understood as this poor young peasant girl, and also to realize things she would grow to understand through the life ministry, death. Resurrection and ascension of Christ. Uh, There's so much there, God. But today, Lord, we realize that there is sorrow associated with participating in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And Lord, I pray that your church, no matter what crazy things go on in our culture, uh, whatever chaos we encounter, that your church would continue to be that faithful witness, that light of revelation to the Gentiles, because we're associated with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the Christ the anointed one. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.